0: Welcome to Weapon of Choice, a podcast where creatives across mediums give us insight into the weaponry of their art. Each episode, you'll be hearing an interview with an artist who uses their art as a weapon of choice for social change and disruption, visibility and justice, cultural critique and resistance, among other things that ignite social consciousness and community action. These artists will tell us about their journeys toward the battles they are fighting, how they design, sharpen, and develop their artistic weaponry to strike a blow against injustice in the world.
1: Welcome back, welcome back. This is
0: Weapon of Choice Podcast. I'm Tommy Franklin.
1: And I'm Andrew Benda, and you're getting a... Bonus episode.
0: Yeah, we had to swoop in on y'all and uh, we got the pleasure and privilege of talking to DeRay McKesson. We're just a week out of this midterm election, so we wanted to hear some of his thoughts on that. He's got a great imagination for, um, you know, organizing in communities and and society in the country. If you hear him on his podcast that he uh, co-hosts with some other amazing folks, Pod Save the People you can tune into all the things that they're imagining and talking about. And we wanted to get a slice of that in Ray's words. So we uh, sat down with them for a little bit here and uh, you're going to get a treat. You'll get to hear that. And, uh, you know, like we said, we've got a bunch of episodes to round out season two that you're mm-hmm. going to be hearing as well. And uh, just make sure that uh, um, if you're listening to, you know, share, share the podcast on all the platforms if you can. Um Facebook, at Weapon of Choice Podcast. We're on Instagram, at Weapon of Choice Podcast. We're on Twitter, at Weapon Choice Pod. Now, if you listen on Apple Podcasts and iTunes, you really do us a huge solid and help us get noticed a little more so more people can find us by leaving us those five stars in the review. We would appreciate that. We appreciate that you've been listening, whether it's from day one or is this your first time listening um, go ahead and go on Apple Podcasts and iTunes and leave that five star and a review. And we trust trust me, we notice, we appreciate that. Uh our email is weaponofchoicefans at gmail.com. We've gotten emails from people who've recommended guests that we've had on the show. So all your feedback does not go unnoticed. And we really appreciate that,
1: everybody. All right. Without further ado, here's our bonus episode, like Tommy said. St- Stay tuned in because we've got a slew of interviews coming your way after this one, but wanted to wet everybody's palate with this. Hope you enjoy.
2: Enjoy. I'm DeRay McKesson, a civil rights activist.
1: All
0: right. DeRay, thank you, and welcome to Weapon of Choice. So we like to kick things off by asking, what is your weapon of choice and what battles are you fighting?
2: Uh, I'd like to believe that my weapon of choice is like a deep imagination, like the ability to both see what is happening in front of us, but, but like think about things that could happen and in like a real way, not just like a theoretical way. So when I think about the work around policing, mass incarceration, public education, the midterms, like all of it's rooted in like, what does it mean to fight for a world that we've never seen before, but we know it's possible?
0: Right on, right on. Um... And are you are you feeling compelled in new ways coming off of midterms to speak truth to any particular issues that got you no, like really fired I'm... up? Only we're only a week out. Right. So what's got you really fired up in terms of this is just really moving me and I have to talk about it.
2: No, I know that like that's the beginning of the work, right, is like getting the people in the positions of power. The the second part of the work is holding them accountable and making sure they do things that make sense and have an impact. So I'm excited about the first part of the work. I never, and I celebrate the first part of the work, I understand that we do this work to have an impact, right? So one of the things I worry about in the movement space is that for all the viral videos you've seen of police violence, the outcomes actually haven't changed that like the same, like the police killed as many people in 18 as they did in 17, 16, 15, and 14. And mm-hmm. I never like want to be seduced to believe that awareness is actually enough. Uh, the, or I never want to confuse awareness with impact. So I'm excited about the midterms. It's a good thing. I'll be really excited to see what happens.
0: Yeah. Yeah. Um, and, you know, and thinking about the human complexities and the intersection of identities and a lot of that had to do with new faces being elected in a historic way. Um, it seems that, um, if there were more understanding, there'd be less ideological battlegrounds, less literal wars. So how do you think we as people can seek out more understanding?
2: Yeah, I don't know. I think I'm and I think I'm just in the camp of like, I think the people against us understand and, and do it anyway. Right. Like. Trump knows that it's racist to talk about building the wall and the caravan and that the that the National Guard should be in Chicago. Like, I just won't believe he doesn't understand that that's racist. Like, I don't, I think he knows. You know, when Sessions is calling for the death penalty for drug dealers, like, he knows that. So, you know, I don't know what to do to get them to believe that people of color and marginalized people have a dignity and are worthy and I'm not spending much of my time trying to convince them. I think that uh, I'm trying to spend my time trying to figure out like, how do we build a critical mass of people who are both skilled and knowledgeable to do the work that like, there are more people on our side than not. The question is like, can we organize them?
0: Yeah. So um, hopefully the people um, who already do understand, but might not have, uh, or might not have tapped into their organizing DNA, just kind of awakening that.
2: Yeah. Or just like, um or helping people realize that like, you know, we should be fighting about polling locations before the election, right? Like we should be Yeah, helping people realize that they can do all this stuff like before it's an emergency. And yeah. like that to me is like really the work of organizing.
1: You've talked about uh what well, you're just talking about convincing people, uh getting tired of that. You you've talked in the past about putting the cognitive burden, uh that was a phrase that you used that I really, really liked, on white folks and other folks that aren't as open to talking about a vision for what's possible, um, how do you how do you use that pl- uh, placing the cognitive burden on them to invite more imagination in and expand um, these conversations?
2: Yeah, so you know, I used to spend a lot of time trying to uh, trying to like give these speeches to people to get them to believe differently, and and like that just didn't work. So now what I do is like when I'm talking to people about welfare, I'm not talking about the, the dignity of people and things like that, what I'm saying is, like, explain to me like, what a four-year-old has to do to be worthy of dinner or, like, what does a seven-year-old have to do to deserve shelter, like, earn shelter? Like, I don't know, right? Yeah. Like, so much of this is, like, how do we actually have the people we're talking to do a little bit of uh, intellectual work so we're not the only people thinking hard? And I think yeah. that that
1: has to be a part of the work.
0: Mm-hmm, mm-hmm.
1: You know, yeah, and we, we don't have a blue for a lot of the things that we want to change, and I think what's interesting, um, when, you, when, you, when you invite them to also be imaginative with you, you're, you're, it's more collective in the search for what t- answers look like. Um, how, tell us more about, I, I love that you used imagination so much, tell us more about how you're using ma- imagination to talk about these things, and again, sort of off the heels of this election, what you're fired up to use your imagination to uh, help come to solutions.
2: Yeah, it's like a lot of it, right? Like, how do we start to—if they can rewrite the tax code on the back of paper towels and and scrap paper, then we can actually do all of this in a generation, right? Like, in a lifetime. So what would it look like to to let everybody out of jail who was uh, incarcerated for weed? Like, we could actually do that. That wouldn't be, like, a dramatic thing to do. You know, we arrest more people for weed than all violent crimes combined— what would it look like to adequately fund public education and like guarantee that every kid can eat breakfast, lunch, and dinner. Right? So when I think about how I spend my time now, it's like, how do we focus on the structural things? Like I'm obsessed with the structural things. So around policing, we do a lot of work around the laws and policies that you never see, but have a big impact. So like in California, there's a law that says that any investigation of a police officer that lasts more than a year can never result in discipline, regardless of the outcome. Uh, And like, that doesn't make sense. So there are a host of those things that, uh, I'm spending my time on cause I believe that we can actually like get to a place where equity is present.
0: Right. Yeah. And, and so you, you know, just for, for one example, your awesome crew that you uh, roll with on pod, save the people. I mean, have you recently been in a room with them or been talking to them, be it over the phone or what have you. And, 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 you know, still, still speaking to that collective imagination or collective dream life, even have y'all been talking recently where just, um, there's just been an immense amount of joy in thinking about the future when it comes to anything?
2: Yeah, we're always mindful that joy is our natural state, right? That all this other stuff is a deviation from where we started. So mm-hmm. we never let the fact that we deal with death and violence and destruction in our work uh, keep us from celebrating like the joyful things that we experience. So on the podcast, we just talked about uh, Brittany's birthday, which is today, or Clint and Brittany just got book deals and that's dope. So. Wow. So we celebrate often because joy is our natural state.
0: Um, so I, I, I did want to ask uh, just to pivot a bit, <clears throat> there's that Leonard Cohen quote, "That would be the beginning that recognize that recognition that we all suffer. Um, thinking about your journey, um, and you know you, you kind of traveled the country, probably the world. Um, how has being vulnerable helped you grow in your activism and writing life?
2: Yeah, I'm always mindful that uh, the way I do the work isn't the only way to do the work, and the way I enter into the work isn't the only way to enter. So I've been in so many rooms where people have just like thought about the work differently, or people have, uh, people have approached the problem in a new way, and I'm like, I didn't even think about that. That's brilliant. Like that was yeah. great. Uh, so I always want to be open to that. That I think about. You know, I was just with an activist the other day who, when we met with Hillary, we put together the room of people to meet with her, and I didn't even realize that this one activist was only 19. And like she was as brilliant and capable as anybody else in the room, who was much older, but like she had a lot to add. And and I think about so many people that I've learned from, regardless of their age, their identity, like. And I always want to be open to that. So the vulnerability, like being open to being influenced, being open, and the way I think about the world has like allowed me to access things, uh, as solutions, resources, like a way of thinking about the world that I would never have gotten otherwise.
0: And by the way, congratulations on the book release. And it's been out for some time now, a month or two. What are some of the reflections you have on your book since its release? And um, what have you learned about yourself as a published author?
2: You know, it's always interesting when your story's out in the world and like it's not just yours anymore. So it's been cool to see some things resonate with people uh, that I liked but didn't think that would resonate that much. It's been Uh, really interesting to see people a lot of people who their fathers raised them and their mother left like they have uh, reached out so that's an interesting um I wrote about being gay and there are a lot of people who wrote who who wrote who the the story that I tell in there and and the way I write about it resonates with people so it's been cool the tour was great I was in uh, like 20 cities or so and like that was really incredible um so it's good that the book lives and I'm proud of the book
0: and uh Did that editing process uh, um, inform you on um, how you might want to, you know, sharpen your tools as a writer and also just as a as a component of, you know, working with folks and thinking about uh, the reception of your work that you that you're proud of? Obviously, and that everyone that cares about you is proud of. How are you thinking about how, how you're growing in that in that regard as a writer?
2: Yeah, you know, like, the best writing has a lot of feedback, and I got a lot of feedback on the book. I think that um, the my editor, Georgia, was incredible. So I don't know if there's anything new besides, like, feedback is helpful. And, like, that was really big, that, like, there were some things I thought were brilliant, turned it in, and she was like, this doesn't really make sense. And you're like, you're right, that doesn't really make sense. So there are a lot of those things that were, like, actually really helpful, but that's just feedback, right? And, like, getting feedback from people you respect and trust, uh, there's no better part of the writing process than that.
0: And, by the way, everyone— the book is called On the Other Side of Freedom, The Case for Hope. So go out and get that. When is, uh you know, you talked about joy a little bit and celebrating uh, Britney's birthday and the book deals for Clinton, Britney. Um, what are some other times that this work is most fun? The organizing and everything.
2: Yeah, so in, in the personal world, when I'm with my friends, like that's the most joyous is that I just get to be on people that I love and know and like there's no greater part of that Um, I think that in the work it's like being in places where people have just like thought about things that we haven't thought about before people who've like asked questions and you're like I never thought about that or like you know I was with Sam the other day and we were talking about um, some projects we're going to work on soon and you know I didn't know that coroners were elected in places across the country like that's fascinating to me so there are all these things that every day we like uncover and we peel back and like who knew like that's like that's incredible and interesting Uh, so I'm always energized by that stuff
1: Mm, great. Um, Dre, I just had one question about um, another uh, quotes that, that really moved me was you talked about constraints are the result of choices, not permanent fixtures when we're sort of viewing the, the things that we need to change within our communities. And I was wondering what, you know, is that just something of a perspective that you innately had or is that something you had to foster seeing those constraints not as permanent fixtures, but actually seeing them as choices and as things that creativity, imagination, a community can find solutions or ways to work around ways to change.
2: Yeah, think about the, you know, a lot of us know the constraints, how to see the constraints as a matter of survival. Mm -hmm. So we know how to have joy in the midst of no toys. We know how to be broke and still be fed um, and that part of our work as we grow up and, like, develop the skill of imagination is to see the constraints and put some, push them out of the way and, like, imagine anyway. And I think that's really powerful. So as an adult, I learned that. Like, I once I traveled, I was like, oh, every neighborhood doesn't look like this. Everything doesn't have to be like this. It does, and like, I learned that, like, this is a system of choices, not a system of chance or cons- of uh, constants, right? That, like, we... We people did this, and because people did it, we can actually undo it, and that really freed me up to just say, like, you know, we could we could do crazy things. We could give every single kid a set of library books from birth to senior in high school. We could we could do a host of things, and like, we should start being imaginative, and we should think about imagination as a skill.
1: Were there any ideas? So you're saying that this kind of was fostered in your travels. Is there any specific stories that you particularly recall that really stood out? Um, and then also, you know, what are some of those ideas that really do bring you joy and excitement to think about the possibility of no
2: particular places, a lot of places have been really incredible. So like college campuses mm-hmm. are always dope because they are, there's like this, they're young. So their perspective on the world is just different and it's so honest sometimes and, and like unfiltered mm-hmm. in a way that's like really beautiful to be a part of, Yeah. um, I think that with the imagination stuff, I'm most interested in like all the things we didn't know. So like the, you think about the way that mass incarceration became mass. I'm always interested when I'm in a place. I'm like, Oh my God, who knew, like, who knew that theft over $300 in Chicago is a felony and like theft over $300 in Florida is a felony. And, and until amendment four just passed, when you became a felon, you permanently lose the right to vote. And like, people don't think about somebody stealing a purse and like losing the right to vote forever. So like, those are the things that like really get me. I'm like, wow, that's so different and so interesting. So those are the things that I like, I spent a lot of time with now.
0: Sure. And I mean, did you, did you, um, did anyone in your family, like, so growing up, did, did anyone in your family see the thinker in you? Did you, was there a moment, you know, if you can think to a specific age, was there a a time when you realized you're not quote unquote normal, if you know what I mean? So like, you know, you started seeing the world a different way or a parent or an uncle or a cousin said, I see this in you DeRay when you were a child. What was that what was that like just fostering that imagination from an early age?
2: There was one boss I had, my first boss, when I was like when I was like a teenager, mm-hmm. who really just believed in me. And then there was a teacher in high school who believed in me, and they helped me see the world differently. They trusted me to be a part of conversations about big ideas and to help edit things and to help put things together and build things. And that those are probably the most formative uh, relationships I had with adults. Uh, when I was a kid and I'm still close to both of them and they were really incredible. So I don't think I felt special per se as I'm, as much as I felt heard and listened to as a young person. And I felt like I could be at the table and be a contributor and I would do as much work as everybody else. And, uh, and I had opinions that were, that were rooted in real things, not just sort of ephemeral Uh, and those things, like those are what I, what I think of the most.
0: So, um, we'd like to ask this, uh, you can go anywhere, like every question, it's all open-ended. But um, what do you it don't even have to be in regards to to you, Duray, but what are you tiring what are you tired of hearing? Hmm.
1: Uh
2: What am I tired of hearing? I think in the work, I am, I think I'm more and more mindful every day that there's a limit to empathy, that there are a lot of people who thought that if, if you just saw people in pain or like if you saw the viral police video, if you like that that would lead to a change in outcomes and empathy only works when the power dynamic is shared. But there are a lot of people who watch the police violence videos and they know that's never gonna be them. So what it what it does do is help people participate in like the cycle of black pain, but it actually doesn't motivate them to do anything. And I think there's like a there's a two decades in criminal justice had thought that like, if we showed the people in jail and if we showed the, but the reality is most of the people with power, they watch these things and they know that's never going to be them or their kids. So empathy without shared power dynamics actually doesn't mean anything but voyeurism. So I think I get exhausted by people trying to tell these stories of people in pain and trauma, not realizing that that is not a motivator for systemic change.
0: No, I'm, I'm with you there. I mean, i I'm, i formally incarcerated and you know my journey from previous to that during and after sure it's, you know it can be considered interesting but uh, there's definitely a gazillion times where i've chosen not to like even tell like just what would be deemed a nice person i'm having a conversation with that story because you can kind of you know aside from being tired of it whether we're seeing it on social media or in regular conversations you can feel that voyeurism you know and i'm sure as you tour, you, you get a lot, you, you know, you get certain questions where you maybe feel that voyeurism, um, you know, even specifically speaking to the fact that we're black men and anytime we have a platform, some of the questions coming at us can raise eye, eyebrows. So I appreciate you pointing that out, uh, that empathy has a limit, you know, that's, that's really something we're thinking about some more. So thank you for that.
1: Um, What art are you currently taking in DeRay that's giving you the energy to keep going?
2: So most of it is just being in proximity to it's like being around people who believe that we can win. there are a lot of people who do work around justice who don't actually think that we can win in the end they they mm. believe a lot of things, but they actually don't think that we can win and I'm obsessed with this, the notion that we actually can win. Like, I think we can win. I believe it. I like, it's why I wake up uh, and do this work every day. Uh, So being around those people is like my, that's like the thing that like rejuvenates me in the hard moments.
0: Awesome. Awesome. How about music? Does that, does that give you a certain energy?
2: Yeah, but I'm not like a music person. So like I listen to like Spotify, discover weekly, every, uh, every Monday, and like, that's interesting, but I'm not like a, I don't, I'm not like a super music person.
0: Yeah. Did you, ha- did you have, um, most of your life or at any point now, you know, kind of a, a, in any artistic genre, some kind of escape that you like to, you know, when you're maybe to yourself and enjoying your own solitude that you like to, um, escape to
2: in any art form. So I'll watch like Netflix or something maybe. Uh, so I've just started to watch, um, I just started to watch, Sabrina. Sabrina, the new Sabrina's. <laughs> yeah, yeah, yeah. It's interesting. Yeah. Um, but I don't. I'm pretty easy. So like, when I'm if I'm trying to like, recap or something, I just need to be alone in a room with four walls and a door. Like, I don't need TV. I don't need. Um, I just don't need anything else. Like, I'm pretty easy.
0: Yeah. So physical solitude is. Um, would you say that that um, any version of quiet and physical solitude for you is is a a great contributor to, um, an uptick in your own mental health.
2: Yeah. It's like, you know, I spend a lot of time with people and being alone, I'm not alone often. So Mm. when I am sometimes it just like, it just really helps me like ground and, um, and just focus. So it's big to me.
0: All right. Well, DeRay we appreciate it we appreciate you coming on Weapon of Choice uh, we know you're busy and we support uh, what you're doing out there and um, we'll keep spreading the word and listening to Pod Save the People and we wish good luck to you and that whole crew and we appreciate you calling in
2: boom cool thanks so much guys all right thanks we'll see you
1: thanks DeRay thank you DeRay as always, this has been a special menu production. You can find more of our episodes or other projects that we're working on at www.specialmenuproductions.com. Check it out. Uh, All the weapon of choice stuff can be found on iTunes, on SoundCloud. Um, It can also be found on that website um, as well as some of the film projects that we've worked on. So check it out. Dope, dope.
0: You know, Renee Copeland, that's our theme music. We love you, Renee. And, uh, you know, Well, yeah, we're a week out of midterms. A lot has changed. There's some history been made. Congratulations to Ilhan Omar, Oden. That's right. uh, Angela Conley. Yep. Irene. Oh, man, who else? Congratulations to those who kept their house seats in Minnesota. My boy, Ray Dean. Congrats to some of the organizers out there like Matt and Ashley and Eli and James Badu. Congratulations to everybody who volunteered um you know everybody's leading busy lives and got all these things and it was amazing to see that crowd work oh Angela Conley (laughs) Ilhan Omar make that history y'all we got your backs and um you know I'm just looking forward to uh communities to uh Mitra Keith Ellison like all, all these folks like I'm looking forward to just here in Minnesota Tim Walls Peggy Flanagan everybody everybody that's doing good work and, and also these communities we're, we're, we're staying we're holding each other we're staying together because we're facing a lot of tragedies we're facing these 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 mass shootings we're facing these wildfires and there's really nothing to to add to all this um, thoughts on what these tragedies are we got to definitely keep holding each other hopefully we can do that and be attending our city council meetings and learning and our our county board meetings. If, they, uh, if they're so lucky to have us in those meetings. So yeah, just keep up the work. What's, what you feeling optimistic about, Andrew? Uh,
1: post-election, um, it was amazing to see. Obviously record turnout across the country, record turnout in Minnesota. Um, I'm just optim- optimistic because I was knocking a lot of doors and getting new voters, people that had never voted before, Um, to vote was awesome and seeing the results for election night in a lot of our local races is what gives me the most hope because I think we always look to the, the, the the big names, the big you know who I'm talking about, but the local races are where we get to decide how um, for instance, Dave Hutch went in the sheriff's seat and getting her yeah. Oh, Stanek. Yeah. That's huge. Oh, yeah. yeah, so these local races are really how we can affect change in our immediate communities, and that is what excites me
0: most. That's awesome. And shout out to Mark Hasse, who was running for Hennepin County Attorney. That's right. didn't, didn't quite squeak it out, but we know that it was some bullshit. <laughs> so, Mark, you're awesome. You worked hard as hell. Your whole team, campaign team, and all the volunteers worked hard as hell. Shout out to Londell French. Shout out to Aaron Murphy and Aaron May Quaid, my friend Aaron May Quaid. You're doing your thing. Keep doing your thing, your family. Um, We love everybody out here in our awesome community here in Minneapolis-St. Paul. But we got a lot of work to do, y'all. We can can prevent voter disenfranchisement. Oh, shout out to Bruce Riley with Vote down in New Orleans, who uh, got another amendment passed. Um, Shout out to Florida formerly incarcerated folks gonna get the right to vote. Um, And just shout out to Mm. Andrew Gillum and especially Stacey Abrams. Keep fighting. Just keep, keep, keep fighting. That's right. Um, If Oprah's not there, give us a call. We'll fly down (laughs) and knock some doors for you if we need to in the next cycle or whatever that cycle might be. Um, Everybody, thanks for listening. Uh, We love y'all. We got, uh, again, your next episode. We got Lemia straight out of Minneapolis. You're gonna love that conversation. Uh, Joseph Part. he's from here, but we got him when we were out in New York, Sahar, Crystal. We got some amazing episodes on the way. Stay tuned, everybody. We love you. Peace.